Good morning. No cutesy video this time. If I did, yeah, you get spoiled. You get spoiled. So, no, we had so much to do, uh, so no, no, no video today. But still, I hope you're glad to see me. <laughs> Always not just for the video. Man, make me feel bad. All right, I do, I do appreciate Doug letting me come and preach, and I uh, appreciate you all coming and showing up. Hope I can be a blessing to you. Amen. <laughs> All right, we're going to look at the Christian conscience today, the Christian conscience. Uh, hopefully it can be a blessing to you, and, uh, and God can give us some insight into what the Bible says about a conscience. Um, in Acts chapter 24, our kind of jumping off verse says this, This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. And that should be our goal, to have a conscience that is good with God. Now, who's ever heard of the, um, the saying, uh, let your conscience be your guide? You ever heard of that? You, you know what it, that came popular through, right? Was Pinocchio. Pinocchio, back in 1940. It's actually written um, from a, it came from a book written back in the ninth, uh, 19th century. Okay. And I think it was in Italian. And, you know, convert all that, made Pinocchio. Now, who was Pinocchio's conscience? Yeah, a cricket. A cricket was his conscience. That was the start of his troubles right there, <laughs> you know. Um, have you ever had a conversation with a cricket? He ain't the brightest uh, of God's creatures. I'll tell you that right now. Um, there's a problem about let your conscience be your guide. First of all, it's, it's not biblical. It's not right. Second of all, it could be very, it could be very um, destructive. Bad things happen when you follow your conscience, which we know about, right? Those are men that follow their conscience. See, your conscience is not made by God to be infallible. It's not the voice of God in your heart. That's not what the conscience is. A conscience, one man said, alerts us to what is bad, directs us to what is good. Now that sounds, that sounds about right, but depends on what your good and your bad is. See, for those men, good thing was running those airplanes into the towers. You see? So, it all depends on what our good and bad is. When Acts, in Acts chapter 10, when Simon Peter had the vision and uh, God let down the unclean animals to Peter, that was bad. He said, no, no, Lord, that's, that's bad. I'm not going to touch that. On the other hand, when Paul the apostle went around and persecuting Christians, he thought that was good. See, so there's a, there is the alerting to bad and the directing to good. But again, it depends on what your good and bad is. You know, conscience is like a magnet, like a, actually, a, I'm sorry, a magnetic compass, a magnetic compass. It doesn't point to true north. You know that. It doesn't point to true north. It points to what's called magnetic north. But also that, that uh, compass is influenced by other things. You get, an, you get another magnet around it. You get some, a large piece of iron or steel or something like that. You can mess up that compass. And the same, same thing with the conscience. You see, the conscience is not infallible. God made it um, 
to help us. Now, the word conscience means to know with. That's what the word means. It's a, a, pers- a perspective awareness within oneself. That is what a conscience is. You know, way, way, way long time ago, there were a group of Hindus that didn't believe in killing cows, but yet they sacrificed their children. Now you think, well, they felt bad when they sacrificed their child. That was their conscience. No, it wasn't. It's no different than whenever you have a child in which does wrong, and maybe they're not, they're not, there's not something wicked like they let the carpet on fire or push their sister down the stairs three times. <laughs> Twice? I thought it was three. It's not like that, but when they do something, that it, you know, but you know that you have to discipline them, right? It hurts you. It hurts me more than it hurts you, you know, but it really does. But see, it's your conscience that's telling you, I've got to discipline my children, even though it hurts you. That's, that's the pain of, of disciplining them is not your conscience. Your conscience is telling you, I have to do this. And they thought the same thing. They didn't love their children any less than you did, but they were following their conscience. See, so it's very important for a Christian to, as we read in the passage, to have a, a confidence, uh, uh, a conscience that's without offense towards God. In Romans chapter number 2, it says, The Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law. These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience. Now, here's the key. Also bearing witness. See, the law in their heart is not their conscience. Those are two different things. And between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So the law written in our hearts that God gives to every man is not the conscience. It works with the conscience, but it's not. Let me give you an example. You got, if your name's Bob, I'm sorry, because Bob's my name, okay, that I use for people. So Bob, Bob goes out, he robs and steals cars all night long. After a hard day's work, he comes on home. Bob's car is gone. Someone stole Bob's car. (laughs) Bob didn't steal it, but somebody else did. All right? Now, what do you think Bob does? Ah, karma. Oh, well. You know, maybe somebody just needed a car today, and I, you know, if I could at least, if I could do that for my brother, I guess I, no. Bob said, I'm going to kill me a fool, is what Bob said. (laughs) But Bob was stealing cars all night long. But yet, it was wrong to steal from Bob. See, that's the, that's the conscience and the, and the law written in the heart. God writes that law that stealing is bad. But our conscience kind of messes it up. Oh, it's only stealing is, is, from, is from me. But it's okay for me to steal from somebody else. See, that's how the conscience and the law, God writes in our hearts, work together. Now, as a person becomes a Christian, we're going to look at that. That conscience is still there, and it still works the same way. It doesn't become all-knowing, you see. We still have to cultivate the conscience just like we do anything else. So let's look at some things here. Conscience and faith cannot be separated, okay? Conscience and faith, your conscience and your faith as a Christian cannot be separated. In 1 Timothy chapter number 1, verse 5, it says, Now the purpose of the commandment is, and he says these things, is love 
from a pure heart, number one. And then he goes back, and the idea is that he's going back and saying, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a good conscience. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a sincere faith. It takes all three. Love is that central commandment that Jesus said that all the law and the prophets hang on that one thing, love God and love others, Jesus told them in Matthew. So they all are together, that pure heart, the new faith, because God, the Bible says God gives you faith. You don't muster faith to believe in God. God the Bible says that God grants you faith. And then a new conscience. A new conscience. All three become new at salvation. And all three are needed for a Christian to live for God. Paul says again in, in another passage in Timothy, he says, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected, he says, concerning the faith of suffered shipwreck. But the idea we want to look at here is, he says, having faith and a good conscience. He puts those two together. Faith and a good conscience. You've got to have faith and a good conscience. As we read, it's a good conscience towards God. Now, mankind is born with a fallen conscience, if you haven't noticed. He's born that way. It says here in Hebrews chapter 10, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter to the holiness by the blood of Jesus. So again, that holiness is the idea of the Old Testament, the, the temple there that was in Jerusalem where they had the Holy of Holies and the holy place there that was only set apart for just the high priest where the mercy seat was and, and all that. And um, so he says that Jesus made this possible for us to enter that spiritually by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh because there was a veil that covered, that prevented anybody from even going inside the first holy place and then the holy of holies. There's that veil that says Christ rent that veil, made, made an opening for us to head in there. And having a high priest over the house of God, and let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. See, we had an evil conscience. Had an evil conscience. Now, evil is a very broad term. That particular word there, evil, it means everything from hardships, okay? So when, when, you, when you walk outside and you jump in your car and your car won't start, that is evil. That is evil. Or when you have a flat tire, <laughs> when you, right? That is evil. That's, it's, hard, it's hardships. But also evil has the meaning of wickedness, vile, sin. It's both. It's both. So an evil conscience is really just the opposite of what's good because a good conscience is what we're supposed to have with God. So anything that's not good is evil, evil conscience. The Bible says it, it sprinkles. That's the, it's the typology. It's the illustration that was used in the Old Testament where they sprinkled the, the people to ceremonially make them clean. That's what he's referring to. In Titus chapter 1, it says this, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, see, these are lost people. Nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. They prefer themselves to know God, but in works they deny him, being an abominable, disobedient, and disqualified from every good work. 
defiled there is not only the idea of stained, polluted, contaminated, soiled, but is the word used that whenever you took an, uh, usually a garment and you dyed it a different color. This was, its, this was the original color that it, was, that it came in, but then you dyed it and you made it something else. That's what happened to our conscience. It became what God did not create it to be, defiled, polluted, contaminated. See, our conscience is influenced by all these other things. That's why that person in India way back then could sacrifice his child, but yet not, could not bring himself to kill a cow because he was taught that. And that's what he knew growing up. And his conscience told him so. So now we've got to look at a Christian's conscience. Because when you get saved, we're going to see that God, right, he makes that conscience new. And what happens to it. So the first thing we're going to look at is that, exactly, that exact thing. That salvation renews the conscience. As we saw before, the conscience is sprinkled from an evil conscience. But also in Hebrews chapter 9, it says, For the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean. That's all, again, typology. That's all um, going back to the, how the Old Testament did things and how they did the sacrifices and all that. It says, Sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works? Cleanse your conscience. Now, just like the heart of a person is made alive and the fellowship with God at salvation is made anew, yet there still has to be growth. You can't say, well, hey, man, I got saved yesterday. I don't need anything else. I got the Holy Spirit. I don't need preaching. I don't need teaching. I don't need to read my Bible because I got the Holy Spirit. Now, you would tell that guy you were a fool. Well, the same is true about your conscience, is that once that conscience is renewed, it just can't, you just don't leave it dormant. Because what we're going to see is as God reveals truth to you, you have to act on that. And when God shows that this is what you should do, then you act on that. And when God shows that this you should not do, then you act on that. And that's how you have a good conscience with God. And the problem comes is when we get information and we go, nah, I don't like that. And we begin to turn what God shows us, which is the second thing. The conscience is strengthened through knowledge of truth. I think Doug said it this last time, right? He said, you know, Jesus Christ is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. So the conscience is strengthened through the knowledge of the truth. Now, the passage we're about to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, let me give you kind of a backstory so you understand. It's not really something that can, would you think, happen in America, but it probably could happen in countries around the world. But the idea is we're going to look at the kind of the principle of what's going on here, okay? So what's going on is that these people got saved. They're new Christians. But back in this particular city, Corinth, people, whether it was a farmer down out there in the country or it was the temple of another god or whoever, another religion, they would take their sacrifices that they would offer to an idol, and then they would take it down to the market. Hey, you know, I might as well make a little money off of this. <laughs> I, mean, I just sacrificed my, my cow to my idol, 
So I might as well not totally lose out. So I'm not going to take it down the market. I'm going to sell it. You know, kill two birds with one stone. Well, what happened is the new Christians, mainly Gentiles, that knew what was going on were say, hey, man, you can't buy that meat. It was sacrificed to an out. And they were telling other, these other Christians, hey, man, you, you can't eat that. That's wrong. Because it was going against their conscience. So Paul says this in that, cha in that chapter. He says, yet for us there is one God. So Paul is telling them, hey, there's one God. We know this, the Father from all things. And we for him and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things or all, are all things and, and through uh, whom we have life or we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. He's talking about that group. For some was conscious of the idol. And he goes on and talks what happened. See, so it's not everybody has that knowledge. So lack of biblical knowledge has the, was the root problem of these people. When we look back at Simon Peter, and we see that Simon Peter's conscience, he said, Lord, this is not good. I can't eat that food. That's unclean. And God said, what God has called clean, call not thou common. So knowledge came in and changed Peter's conscience when he got that truth. Paul, who was going around and thought it was good to kill Christians and persecute them, when God said, hey, you're persecuting me, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus. God changed his conscience. What he thought was right, he realized was bad. So knowledge is what we need to help guide our conscience. You just can't let it go on its own. You need truth. And the more that God reveals to us, the more that he expects us to follow and that conscience is there. Have you ever, you ever wrestled with your conscience? You ever fought with your conscience? You ever laid awake in bed, can't sleep because your conscience is bothering you? That's how God intended it. But it's intended to have the word, have the truth. See, a person draws closer to God by knowing him through Bible preaching, Bible teaching, Scripture reading, Christian fellowship, and that helps their conscience become equipped to guide them to serve the Lord. See, so we have to, we, you have to understand, as God shows you truth, you need to act on that truth to keep a, a good conscience before the Lord, which is the next thing. A good conscience is needed to be in fellowship with God. So conscience, a good conscience comes from obeying truth. That truth is revealed to us, okay? That was somebody's conscience right now. It just went off, letting them know. <laughs> Reminder, I'm your conscience. Look what he says here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day. A pure conscience. It says there in Acts chapter 23, then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Again, lived in a good conscience. Here's our theme verse again. This, in Acts chapter 24, this being so, I myself always strive. He strives to have a, a conscience without offense toward God and men. Is that our goal? Do we do that? And then a, a verse we looked at before in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, from a sincere faith. 
So a good conscience is needed to be in fellowship with God. My life verse, and I've told you many of my stories, you know, when you, after a while, right, Doug, you preach after a while, you hear the same stories. I'm sorry about that, you know, just the way it goes as a preacher. But my life verse is um, Amos 3.3. 3. Can two walk together unless they be agreed? And the idea is no, two cannot walk together unless they be agreed. So when I start to go against knowledge that God gives me and my conscience starts to tell me, hey, this ain't right, and I begin to push that aside, me and God's walk begins to stumble and have trouble. So not only is a good conscience needed for fellowship, also it's if a conscience is neglected, it becomes weak. As a conscience neglects, it becomes weak. <clears throat> um, look what it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, a verse we looked at before. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge for some with conscience of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But your conscience can, can become weak if you, you neglect it. And it gets you in trouble because your conscience is there to guide you. You begin to neglect what you hear, what you know, you're going to start having a weak conscience. Problems start happening when you have a weak conscience. It says in Hebrews chapter 5, for, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness for free is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age, that, that is, those who by reasons of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, even though the conscience is not actually directly referred to in that passage, the idea that we've learned about conscience is there. It's behind the scenes. Having our senses exercised to know good and evil. And when we know that, we act on that. And if we don't, we can have a weak conscience. You know, there's, that, there's not a thou shalt not. I'm telling you what, you, you, you can get this Bible to... Say anything you want to say. You know that? You can pull a verse out, take it out of context. You can get, you're just about to get this Bible to say what you want to say. There's a lot of people that do it too. And there's not a thou shalt not for everything that in life that you come across. But there's a lot of principles that if you know, they help guide you. So the problem happens that when you have a weak conscience, you get swayed by others. You're swayed by others. Now, maybe the others is not a good word because it really is swayed by anything but God. You know, whether it's media, political correctness, religion, friends, what's in style. You get to get swayed. That's what happened to these people. They were swayed says there in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 7, that little bitty part of a verse we has there, it says, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Defiled, again, made polluted, contaminated, stained. Their, their conscience was getting affected by what somebody else was doing. <clears throat> way back in the day, way back in the day, we were going to church. Uh, we were told, that, you know, we shouldn't go to a restaurant that served alcohol. You know, it's just Christians shouldn't be in a restaurant that serves alcohol. Some even went to go say, 
Well, if they're playing uh, secular music in the dining area, you shouldn't as a Christian be subject to that. Well, honey, it looks like we're going through the drive-thru <laughs> because, you know, we're stuck out. And I remember, too, um, they sell lottery tickets and the alcohol. You shouldn't go to that gas station. No joke. Well, in the store that, you know, we shopped at in that whole city, when alcohol came in and they were allowed to have beer and wine, where did you go to get groceries? You had to go kill a chicken in your backyard, buddy, because that's all you got. Grow some corn and, uh, I don't know, milk a cow, man, because now you're in trouble. Now, their conscience was telling them what they thought. That was their conscience. They just didn't have the knowledge. Well, I'll tell you what, their knowledge changed, and so did mine. We realized, we, where are we going to go get groceries now? Swayed by others. What somebody else thinks is right or wrong, you think is right or wrong. That's a weak conscience. Not only is it swayed, but it's wounded. It's wounded. You know, I've got to be careful because I want, to, I want to be taken wrong what I'm about to say. Um, the Scripture does indicate that it's not a sin to drink alcohol. But there was a time in my life that I was wounded when I saw Christians drink because I didn't drink and I thought it was wrong and I wasn't, I was weak in my conscience even though I hear, and I'll tell you the truth, I, I read what the scripture said and I saw all these verses, but I allowed men to tell me otherwise. Now, obviously, drinking to excess is wrong. But, I mean, they went to, so far to say, well, the, the wine that Jesus drank wasn't fermented and things like that. They, they'd go and they'd do all these little, jump through all these little hoops to try to prove this. And so I would get offended. So I had to grow up in my conscience. That even though I don't drink, that I can't let maybe someone else that has a glass of wine offend me and make me stumble or judge them and say, oh, well, they're not as a spiritual Christian as I am. Right? Now, maybe down there's some things, you know, uh, you know again, if he's, uh, if he's stealing cars, that's a little different, <laughs> you know, because I got a book that tells me, hey, your car stealing, I know your conscience doesn't bother you, but that is wrong, you know. But what I'm trying to say is that, you know, as I journey in life and I'm growing in the Lord and I'm learning more about God and learning about myself, and maybe there's a brother or sister over here that doesn't do things exactly like I do, but see, if you feed on the Word and your conscience is strong, you won't be wounded, you won't be offended by maybe something they do or don't do that, I, that you do do or don't do and won't make you stumble you won't think less of them you won't shun them you won't you, you but you'll say hey well, I wonder if that's you know I need to find out if that's if that's right and you you seek God a wounded conscience in first Corinthians chapter 8 verse 12 it says but when you sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience. You sin against Christ. That's true. I have to be mindful of those who have a different conscience understanding than I have. 
and not purposely try to offend them. But yet you've got to go back to, okay, listen, Christian. If you're getting offended at things that people do and judgmental, not saying that maybe they're right or wrong, don't know, but you know what? Then you, you might let your conscience, your conscience might be weak and is getting wounded because you haven't been feeding it. The last thing, which is a weakened conscience. A weakened conscience can become seared. He says there in 1 Timothy chapter 4, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. So there's an idea they're Christians. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. That's the word we get cauterized from, hot iron. So instead of being influenced by truth of the Scripture, through preaching and teaching and reading, they reject it. And they begin to sear their conscience. And then when they reject the Word of God and the principles of Scripture, they begin to dull their conscience. So when people say, well, I'm not convicted, well, that doesn't really matter, really, because you can dull your conscience. You can get to where it doesn't bother you anymore. I just don't think the Lord, Lord just hasn't convicted me. Well, yeah, but... You're stealing cars, <laughs> and it says it right here in the Bible. Ultimately, that leads to it being insensible. It begins not to sense even the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 says, quench not the Spirit. So we saw all that, that all those things, the conscience is just interwoven with our faith and our life and the way we live and, and living before God, that it's, it's directly connected to how the Spirit works with us. And a way, quenching the Spirit, which means to douse, to put out, is also you dulling your conscience that you can't hear the Spirit. There's a connection between the two. And pretty soon the Holy Spirit can't get to you, can't get to me. My conscience is getting dull. And ultimately that will lead to judgment we go back to the passage we looked at back in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, the whole passage says, This charge I, I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage a good warfare, having faith and a good conscience. Now this is, man, I didn't realize this until I studied this. Which some having rejected. You know, that which is directly related to conscience. See, I always thought it was both, but it's, it's actually not. It's a singular. It's not plural. So having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected their good conscience. And concerning the faith, they become shipwrecked because of that. Because remember, faith and conscience are connected. Man, what a great word, shipwrecked. Man, just run aground. Off course. And he says, of whom are Himaeus and Alexander, whom I've delivered to Satan, that they, might, they may learn not to blaspheme. You know, in some ways, a Christian ends up, can end up exactly like they were before they were saved. A weakened, defiled, a dead, and a conscience that is not sensing to God. Simply because as we get truth, I don't want to do that. Mm, 
No, that's not right. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Oh, I should be doing that? Nah, I just don't think that's, I just don't agree with that. Paul says in Hebrews chapter 13, he says, pray for us. We are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. That is the key. When we desire not to, not my will, Lord, but yours to be done in my life, that's the key. To follow God's word and have a good conscience to know that as God reveals truth and shows you what's right and what's wrong, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, where you should be, where you shouldn't be, that you follow that. And you are in fellowship with the Lord, and then he grows you, and your conscience is able to guide you in life the way God wants you to live, not man or media or something else. Pray to God we have a good conscience before him. Amen. Let's pray to the Lord. Father, we do thank you, God, for your amazing grace. Pray that you might guide us. Help us, Lord, to um, really to examine our own conscience, to know that uh, you know, where it stands in your light. Is it right with you? Is it, are we following you, Lord? Or have we seared our conscience? Have we, have we made our conscience dull, Lord? Help us to be honest with ourselves and with you. God, we might be the type of vessel that you'd have us to be. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.